Well, good morning, church. My name's Jordan. I'm one of the pastors here. It's so good to see uh, each of you today. Uh, this past weekend, as Austin mentioned, it was a, it was a kind of a, a hurricane weekend, right? Sort of. And we, uh, in preparation for that, we spent a lot of time uh, inside this weekend as our family. And so uh, my six-year-old, her name's McClendon, she was playing with some Legos. And the only thing harder than getting a six-year-old to follow the instructions of a really tiny Lego set is to get a six-year-old and a three-year-old to follow the little tiny instructions of a little tiny Lego set. And we were doing our best to get going with that. And about every two seconds, McClendon is like, Daddy, I need some help. Daddy, I need some help. Daddy, I need some help. And about the 275th time of me walking over and after finally getting kind of comfortable in my chair or sitting on the couch or whatever I was doing and walking over, helping her, showing her the instructions, I said, all right, baby, you got to figure this out. You, you're, we're, we're trying to instill in her a sense of like, hey, even when you don't know exactly what to do, you can figure it out. We believe in you. You, you're, you're, you got to figure these kind of things out. And she starts trying to figure it out. And about 73 milliseconds later, she's already done with it. She's like, oh. and she did that thing that kids do, right? I see her in the kitchen. She just goes, oh. and her shoulders slump over and she's like moping around. I was like, baby, come here. And I get down on her level and I say, baby, yesterday me and Mr. Wynn were tracking a deer. Uh, and what you're having a hard time doing is reconciling why do these Lego pieces, yeah, I used the word reconcile with my six-year-old. Sorry, it's a sermon illustration. Just stick with me. And uh, she's having to reconcile how do these Lego pieces, why do they not fit together? And I explained to her, me and Mr. Wynn, when we were looking for the deer that we had shot, we were having to be on our hands and knees crawling through the woods. I was trying to explain to her, like, what we were doing we're, we're crawling on our hands and knees through the woods in the dark. That's way harder than Legos, but you can do it. And I was explaining to her that sometimes when we couldn't find the right next piece to put the puzzle piece together, sometimes we just had to go back to the beginning. And we had to restart, and we had to start at the very beginning of where the trail began to put the pieces together. And I was explaining to her, baby, for these Legos, sometimes in order for the pieces of the puzzle to begin to fit together, you got to go back to the beginning and see what you missed. And for us today, I would imagine that like you're just like me, we have sometimes the pieces just aren't quite adding up. Whether it's the relationships we have, it's the job that we work, whether it's the, the friends that we have, whatever it might be, we have where there are people, there are relationships. Where there's relationships, there's conflict. And where there's conflict, we need reconciliation. We need things that bring the pieces back together. And I want to show you uh, something that's been very moving in my heart this week as I've looked at 2 Corinthians. I've tried to, to pray and ask the Lord, Lord, what do you want for this sermon, for this series of, of cultural captivity? What, what, is, what is something that we need from this? And I feel like God led me to 2 Corinthians 5. So if you want to turn there, we're going to look at 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21. But the big theme of the morning is that there is lots of things that take our relationships captive, that take our identity captive, things that, uh, things that distract us, things that just feel like all the puzzle pieces of life just aren't fitting together. And the big point that I want to make is that we have 
this testimony through the instructions of God. If we are picturing our life as the Lego set like my daughter is working with, if we will go back to the instructions that God has written for us, we can see reconciliation come about that we couldn't have orchestrated from our, for ourselves. So look at 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21. Let me give you a little bit of context here. Paul is dealing with people that misunderstood his motives. They were questioning Paul's motives. If you were to go back and do any level of historical digging and research about the people of Corinth, what you would see is an absolute mess. We, a, a level of mess that you couldn't even comprehend would constitute a thing called a church. It would be a level of mess that you couldn't even wrap your head around. But not only are they a mess between one another, they're questioning Paul's motives. That's the people that he's writing to, people already questioning his motives. Also questioning his authority. They looked at Paul as like, man, you're so, you're so bold in your letters, but when you're here in person, you're so meek and you're so mild. Like how, how could you actually be a leader? And then lastly, what, the people, what Paul tells us in the letter is that what Corinth is struggling with is that you're looking and evaluating me and you're also looking and evaluating Jesus according to your cultural principles. What Corinth valued was power and authority and skill and big personality. And Paul is saying, you're measuring spiritual dynamics according to a cultural reality. You've allowed your culture to take captive what it means to be faithful to Christ. Starting to feel relative to today. So Paul is writing to them, and what's worth asking, in my opinion, is what does Paul use as a remedy for this sickness, for this, for this tension, for what's already, like if you were having to address somebody who's already questioning your authority, questioning your motives, questioning if you're even a valid leader, and they're already doubting what you have to say, what would you say to them? What Paul uses, what I wanna show us today is he uses the gospel. And it's not just a, hey, a surface level introduction to the gospel, this goes deep. Now I wanna, I wanna trace this theme to the very end. So let's look at 16 through 17. The first thing, resolving this tension, was resolving this relational difference that's already so present in the life of Corinth, Paul starts with the gospel. Verses 16 through 17, from now on then, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective. Even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we no longer know him in this way. Paul is saying, hey, I get it. I used to consider Jesus from Nazareth in a worldly way. I even persecuted Christians because I considered Jesus in a worldly way. Paul's referring to the times when he would haul Christians off to prison when he was like, this Jesus of Nazareth guy is an insurrectionist. He's, he is up to no good. He is against my fundamental values. And he persecuted Christians. And until he had a genuine encounter with Jesus personally, and not just what he believed on the outside was changed, but what was changed on the inside for Paul, then he began to consider Jesus in a different way. He says it in 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and see the new has come. What he's saying is, hey, as you doubt me, as you question me, as you belittle me, as you hurt one another, I want you to remember something. Jesus saved us. How can we quarrel and fight 
and harm one another when Jesus saved us. He's holding it up as this great mystery. Like, why would we harm one another? Look what Jesus paid for our unity. Jesus' salvation changes everything. How we evaluate people, how we forgive people, how we treat people, how we carry ourselves, the things we say, the way we spend our time, the things we worry about, the things we fear, it all hinges on one evaluation. Did Jesus rise from the dead? If Jesus is alive, then we have confidence in our reconciliation. If he did not, then go ahead. Worry, fear, neglect, abuse, judge. But if something inside you pulls you away from saying like, that's not me, that's not what I'm supposed to value, it's because you have been reconciled to God. Understand this, this is the unique mystery and the unique sort of complex nature of Jesus that is so unique to Christianity. Only someone who has been filled with the Spirit of God can look at Jesus dying on a cross, believe that he then walked out of his burial tomb and never went back in it. And we look at that historical reality and say, I'm staking whatever happens after death on that being true. For a Christian, that is everything to us. And understand, the rest of the world looks at that and says, that is nuts. This is, this is never more true than when I go on a mission trip. As we would venture around Turkey talking to people, the things that people would say would be things like, yeah, I, I, I've, heard of, I've heard of this Jesus. I even think he's special. I even think that he's alive. I know he's a different sort of person than me. These are, these are people who have a, a Muslim background, just like everybody in the people group video that we just mentioned. But yet they cannot explain the unique reality of why did Jesus have to die? That is the unique mystery and source of our faith that whatever Jesus died for, I believe he died for me. And I'm placing my faith in the fact that he was crucified, died, and was resurrected. Paul is saying that reality changes the nature of the way that we relate to one another. He's writing from a really far off place to Corinth saying, in all of this quarreling, in all of this bickering, in all of your doubt of me, remember Jesus saved us. It's your salvation. It's my salvation. We are one in a new Savior. Jesus saved us. His second method for reconciliation Verses 18 and 19, everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. In other words, what he's saying is, Jesus saved us, and then he left us here to tell others. Verses 16 and 17, remember, Jesus saved us, Verses 18 and 19, and he left us here to tell others. Paul is saying, how could I have time to worry and fear when Christ has saved me? 
How could I be so entangled with conflict when my day-to-day task is proclaiming a message that is about reconciliation? God has entrusted you and I with this ministry of reconciliation as he refers to it in verses uh, uh, 17 and 18, or 18 and 19. This ministry of reconciliation, he says in 19, that is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And that message, the, the essence of that message, he has committed that to us. Jesus, who was worthy of ruling as a king, chose to save us by dying on a cross. Jesus and Jesus alone could take on every drop of punishment that we deserve for our sin because he alone was perfect. So method number one, remember Jesus saved us. Method number two, he left us here to tell others. And number three, this is where it begins to not just be what should we do, but fundamentally who we are. You notice that about problems sometimes. It's not just what, right? It's not the the things that were done. It's a portrayal of who you are as a person. Paul is saying, remember, this, this bickering, this conflict, it betrays who we are. We are ambassadors. Verses 20 through 21. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. And since God is making his appeal through us, We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Remember, Jesus saved us. He left us here to tell others and he left us here with a new career. He left us here with a new career. Regardless of what occupation or what field you work in, if you have placed faith in Christ, you have a new job title, and that job title is ambassador. What is an ambassador? An ambassador embodies, proclaims, and extends the values of the nation that they represent. This was really cool when we lived in D.C. to go down Embassy Row you'd see all of these row homes and all these different big buildings with every flag of every nation represented that had their embassy there in the capital, of our nation's capital. And now I think about looking around this room in each of our seats for every person who considered themselves a follower of Jesus, the flag of Christ sitting at your side, looking across this room as an ambassador that's meant to rally here in the embassy that is the church and then go out into the world and represent the mission, the values, and the ministries of the king that saved us. Being an ambassador, this is, this is Paul's point to Corinth. As they struggled, as they doubted him, as they questioned him, He's saying, hey, that's a lot of bondage that you're carrying. But being an ambassador for Christ frees us from our identity being taken captive by the culture that we live in. He's saying, hey, you you measure my worth according to your culture's standards. I'm free in Christ, and so are you. You don't have to assess me according to your standards. You can assess me according to our Savior. Being an ambassador for Christ frees us from our identity being taken captive by the culture that we live in. 
An ambassador lives out its nation's values. An ambassador proclaims the message of their king. An ambassador understands and embraces the mission that they have been given. An ambassador extends the message, the mission, and the values of their nation and king to the people they are inviting to proclaim allegiance to. That's who we are, guys. That's us. That, that's, if I could get you to see the, the, the practical nature of this. It's not just some mystical job title that you are being given today through a sermon. It's what God has declared true of you to exist in the world with. The conflict that you experience, the, the arguments that you have, the, the difficulty, difficulties that you experience, the, the frustrations you have at work, the vision of who you have been declared to be by Jesus in his word sets you free from those things. It brings you back to the beginning to see what God has declared of you in his word. You are an ambassador. That changes your need to win certain arguments. That changes your need to get over on people. That changes your need to get uh, ahead of somebody else at your company. That changes your need to declare your own needs because you have faith that Christ has given you more than you could even know what to ask for. And this is where I wanna, I wanna to dig down. It's not just, Paul is not just saying like, hey, just get right, believe the gospel. Hey, just figure it out. Jesus died. Come on. He's saying at the very core of everything that is true about you, we are defying that by our disunity. And I want to I trace this through as I think about all the ways that culture takes us captive on this identity of being an ambassador. Here's the problem as I see it. Christ has set us free to be his ambassadors. We are free to live his value, to extend his glory, to be agents of his peace. Yet right as we go to do those things, to live that out, we encounter the bondage of our current cultural moment. Our hands and feet are, are shackled to this. And a lot of times that shackling is to our faith in the major institutions of the country that we live in. The great lie of the enemy is this, guys. I want you to hear me on this. As, as he, please hear my heart. This is what I've, I've prayed and sought the Lord on all week that I believe the Lord wants to say to us this week. The great lie of the enemy is that our mission of reconciliation, the whole thing, our ambassadorship as given to us by Jesus comes with this ministry of reconciliation. And the great lie of the enemy is not to get us to stop reconciling things, it's to try to reconcile the wrong things. The great lie of the enemy is that our mission of reconciliation is meant to change the culture of the land that we live in rather than to minister a reconciling gospel to one person at a time in the manner that God intended. I wanna break that down the rest of our time. You are not responsible for changing the quote unquote pillars of our society. In fact, for the follower of Jesus, there is only one pillar of our society and his name is Jesus. If Jesus is alive, then we are free. Our news outlet is God's word. Our government is led by a perfect king. Our education is the history of redemption. Our media outlet has one message. Jesus is alive, believe, be reconciled to God. And your responsibility, your great opportunity is to represent God's reconciling message to people that find the message of Jesus so foreign. 
So what are some ways that our cultural moment takes us captive as Christians? Number one, I believe it takes our mission captive. We try to reconcile culture rather than reconciling people back to God. We believe that if, if the media was different, if the White House was different, if the education system was different, if culture was just different, if, that, if culture would just figure it all out, then I could be a herald of Jesus. Our success as Christians is not measured by Fox News mentioning a few Christian stories. Our success as Christians is not sharing moving stories on Facebook. Our success as Christians is not electing a president from a certain party into the White House. Our success is measured by our participation in God's ministry of reconciliation. We have to stay focused on the right mission. We have to learn the skills that it takes. Paul says of pleading on Christ's behalf for people to be reconciled to God. Here's true spiritual success as I see it. Devoting yourself to do for one person what you wish you could do for the entire world. If you're not willing to instill your values and message into one person, then your values just may not be those of Christ. Because Jesus spent 90% of his life laboring in obscurity, swinging a hammer, and three years of public notoriety. He sought to change people, not cultural institutions. I think another thing that gets taken captive is our values. We try to legislate morality rather than modeling our own reconciliation back to God. We don't need institutions to embody our values. We need to embody our values. I've been teaching a, a, a Bible class to some high school students, and I asked them, why are you taking a Bible class? What made you want to do this? And they said, well, I've just grown up knowing the stories, but I've never actually read the book. And that, for me, is a summation of Bible Belt nominal Christianity. We believe there's some good stuff in there, but I just don't have time to pick it up and read it myself. And that keeps us divorced from the actual values of Jesus. All we can know are stories of what Jesus values, but I don't actually know what they are deep down in my own heart. We can't fully live out values that we have not personally internalized. We would expect nothing less from an ambassador that's a representative of our own country, right? For somebody to go and be an American ambassador to France and then teach communism as a valid way of orchestrating American values, we would call that treason. Internalizing our king's values is of utmost importance. It's not a tertiary issue. Another way we're taking captives is our methods. We rely on and resort to the major institutions of society to change people rather than dedicating ourselves to God's reconciling methods. In other words, we're counting on the education system to do for our kids what we're not willing to invest into our kids. We're counting on the university system to change our kids instead of us changing our kids. We're counting on a news outlet to proclaim our message instead of us proclaiming our message. God's reconciling methods that he wants us to use are prayer, scripture, evangelism, and discipleship. Let me ask you a tough question. 
Do you consider yourself a mature believer? I want you to hear my heart in this. Do you consider yourself a mature believer? If you've been a follower of Jesus your whole life, are you a 20-year veteran follower of Jesus, or have you been a one-year-old Christian 20 times? We don't mature in Christ simply by living and physically aging. We mature in Christ by disciplining ourselves according to God's methods. Would you say you struggle in prayer? That's okay, but for how much longer? Would you say you struggle in understanding what the Bible says? That's okay, but for how much longer? Another thing we get taken captive in is in our teams. We try to partner with the institutions of the world to accomplish a worldly mission, that of making the world conform to one sense of morality rather than celebrating and furthering the joy of our shared reconciliation. Let me explain that. We want the major institutions of the world, we wanna partner with that team and say, okay, you accomplish the senses of morality that I'm not willing to move in the direction of. And it's certainly not gonna be, it's not gonna happen in the church. We have a, today we have a, a, a very, very, very brittle spirit about the church. It becomes a lot easier to leave the only team that Jesus instituted to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. This is the great deception of the enemy to say there's other outlets and teams that I can partner with to accomplish the mission of God. And these teams, no matter how much they hurt us, we'll, we'll, we will stick with those things. But the bride of Christ, a light momentary affliction, I'm out. And look, we as Connection Church, we are, we are gonna be fine. I hurt, it for, I hurt for people that don't see how the enemy tries to deceive us about the teams that we're a part of and giving us more hope in teams that God never promised would give us hope. Jobs are gonna let you down. Careers, hopes, hobbies, even a lot of your relationships are gonna let you down but we have more toughness and grit about those things than we do the bride of Christ. Here's how we can partner with our teams. I wanna use Mr. Chad Wiggins as an example. Am I saying in order to partner with this ministry of reconciliation that somebody like Mr. Chad Wiggins would have to stop banking and solely focus on the ministry of reconciliation? No. Am I saying that faithfulness to Jesus means he needs to leave his career and work and, work, and the, the work team that he has to truly honor Jesus? No. Mr. Chad, through Christ, is an ambassador for Christ. And part of his responsibility is to extend the message, mission, and values of Christ to his banking. He gives people fair deals. He treats customers with respect. He strives to excel in his career as if working for Jesus himself. And he does so with the joy of knowing he is free from his career being his God. He is free to be unique in his workplace because he has been reconciled to God and he accepts his career of being an ambassador. Does Eli Vincent stop going to college? Does Macy stop raising kids? No, they bring the ministry of reconciliation to those spheres. There's no differentiation between your physical life and your spiritual life if you are a new creation in Christ. It all belongs to him. We're taken captive in our purpose. 
We hunger for an individualistic, unique purpose that's more reflective of the American dream rather than embracing our purpose inherited through, to us through, uh, through our reconciliation back to God. What I mean is stop waiting for a purpose and a quote-unquote calling that is unique to you. Here's a good principle for you. Don't expect an inspirational, unique message when God has already given you an inspired message. You don't need your own unique job God prepared for you before the foundations of the earth so that you can feel special and different. You have been saved from death. This is what Paul is saying in, in 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 17. You have been saved. You have been left with a great purpose. We have given you a great career in being an ambassador for Christ. Whatever job, vocation you use to spell that out in, praise God. We've been saved from death. Jesus has reconciled our bondage to sin. And we see, like Paul, that the conflicts we face in life can be reconciled when we go back to the beginning and see the grace given to us in Jesus. Relationships may be messy, maybe even painful, but God has not left us without help. He provides growth and care, and he provides those things And we, as we participate in his ministry of reconciliation. So very practically, what do we do? Hey, I, I, I'm in. I, I want to I pursue this ministry of reconciliation. I want to I do everything that's laid out for us in 2 Corinthians 5. Number one, we learn our king's values. Number two, we embrace our king's people. We accept the king's accountability, and we participate in the king's mission. The way we lay that out just very simply in the life of our churches, if we're going to internalize our king's values, we've got to agree on what they are. And that agreement is called heart and soul at our church. If you agree that Jesus is the savior of the entire world, if you agree that you have been transformed and saved and you wanna follow him every day for the rest of your life and you wanna do that here with other people who have made the same confession, heart and soul is your next step. We embrace our king's people. We're not, it's not just a me and Jesus type reality. It's a we and Jesus reality. You need the difficulty and awkwardness of community. Not just the once a year family reunion you go to that you dread, but you go anyway. Real covenant community of people that have placed faith in Jesus. Those are different people. And you need covenant community. And that thing in our church is called connect groups. We accept the king's accountability Listen, if you're not going to be an ambassador, this one's not for you. But if you want to take seriously, I want to I take on everything that Jesus, who died on a cross and rose from the dead, and has saved me, whatever he says, whatever he wants for my life, that's what I want. And I want to be an ambassador, then you've got to accept the king's accountability. The way that looks here is that we take on growth and equipping and actually being pastored. This is not an easy one to say as a pastor. It's like, hey, let me pastor you. But there are not many places that are going to stand up and encourage you to make yourself available to be pastored, to be held accountable. Look, our goal is not to just make my job easier. 
I want to help you step into everything that God has for you uh, through equipping and through growing. If, if you're going to be an ambassador, you don't start off just day one being the head honcho of the embassy. You work and you're formed and you internalize the, the message of the king. You internalize the values of the king so that one day you can lead in proclaiming the message of the king. We participate in the king's mission. Look, there's a reason that we want to plant 50 churches by the year 2050. We think there are need for more embassies all across both the United States, but around the world. I feel like Jesus is worth knowing in every square inch of this world. And I believe that there are countless people here that feel the same way. We participate in the king's mission by planting churches, spreading, spreading the gospel, and surrendering to a ministry of reconciliation. I've got three invitations that I want to invite you to this morning. I think there are three invitations that I see in 2 Corinthians 5 and also in the broader message of 2 Corinthians. And I, I just want to invite you to, to really open up your heart. Something that Paul says that is really challenging to me, he, he, he levels with the Corinthians and say, says, it's not that our hearts are closed toward you, your hearts are closed towards us. And if, and if you have, like Nick, if you didn't get to see his baptism this morning, it's a, it's a lot like Clayton's. If you knew about Jesus for most of your life, but you never knew this great career of being an ambassador for Christ, you didn't know that that was something that Jesus was inviting you to. Today is a day that that can be different. If you didn't know that you have been inherited, not just inherited, you have been called and commissioned to participate in this ministry of reconciliation that Jesus has saved you to. Today is a day that that can be different. The first invitation I see is, do you have a saving relationship with Jesus? If not, today is the day. I want you to see this isn't just something I'm trying to work into a sermon illustration. The very next verse after what we covered this morning, this is what Paul says. This is over 2,000 years ago to a, 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 a city and a people and a church that doesn't even exist anymore, not in the way that it did then. This is what Paul says to them. Working together with Christ, we also appeal to you, don't receive God's grace in vain. Don't, don't run the race of this Christian life aimlessly. Don't do it with no purpose. Don't do it just going through the motion. Don't receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in an acceptable time, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. Look, now is the acceptable time. Look, now is the day of salvation. I believe that's the invitation from God's word this morning. If you have never entered into a saving relationship with Jesus. Today is the day. It's why our church exists. It's why we are here. The second invitation I would ask is, have you embraced the career that we've talked about today? Today, in the quietness of this response, Chase is gonna play. If you're responding for salvation, our prayer team is gonna be here and we would love to pray with you. Take this next step of saying yes to Jesus in a saving way, in a way that you've never done before. We are here to help you with that. And as those people respond, if you've never 
embraced this career of being an ambassador for Christ, today is the day. Today in the quietness of this response, resolve for yourself, who do you want to be? Will you embrace being an ambassador every day for the rest of your life? Think about these baptisms. These are people in a very powerful moment said, I wanna follow Jesus every day for the rest of my life. They're not just describing what they are going to do. They are defining who they want to be. Who do you want to be? And the last invitation, are you dedicated to being a minister of reconciliation? We need a great partnership in the gospel. Maybe before today, you didn't even know that that's what being a Christian meant. But resolve it in your heart today. Is Jesus worth the world knowing about? Will you take up the ministry of reconciliation as your life's calling? As I pray, if you wanna place faith in Jesus for the first time and you wanna talk to somebody, even if you wanna talk to somebody about what that even means, our prayer team will be down front to receive you. As I pray, you just move. And then Chase is gonna lead us in a song. Lord God, we need you. Thank you for this great message of reconciliation. God, thank you that you have opened our ears and opened our eyes to what the true meaning of life is through Christ. God, thank you for not leaving us in darkness. Thank you for not leaving us without purpose. Thank you for not leaving us without meaning. So Lord, every day that we get to stay here, help us to live up to the job that you've given us. Help us not do it with going through the motions and making it mundane, but that we would see how thrilling it is to serve the king of the universe. God, just as your spirit was hovering over creation from the very first moment the world existed, God, up until now, I pray that you would come and that you'd move in our midst this morning. Pray this in Christ's name, amen.